0: Good afternoon and thanks for joining us for Managing to Make a Difference. My name is Kyle Bruce and I'll be your moderator for today's show. I am joined today by authors Larry Sternberg and Kim Turnage, our experts on management techniques, the research behind them, and why effectively implementing them them can make a difference. Today's show is going to focus on Chapter 19 of Larry and Kim's book, Managing to Make a Difference, and we're going to be talking about a time-honored management technique. That's right, kicking butt and doing it the right way. Uh, Larry and Kim, kicking butts and managing to make a difference, those aren't necessarily uh, sort of in perfect harmony as techniques, at least from my perspective. Why did you choose to, to write this chapter in the book? What, how does it fit in and, and why? Well,
1: a couple of things. First of all, although they may appear not to be in harmony, I think they, in fact, are in harmony. Uh, uh, for instance, I know that you played football in school, right? Yeah, yeah I did. And I bet the coach uh, engaged in a, in a, in a lot of uh, yelling and butt kicking. Yes, and,
0: occasionally and, Well,
1: yeah, and I bet that coach made a big difference in a lot of lives if the coach was a good coach. So he did uh, indeed. As a matter of fact, that's that. That's why we made sure to put it in this book because it is a very time-honored practice. It is a very common practice. And like every technique, there is a right way to do it. There's a right time to do it. There's a right circumstance. So like any technique, if it is done correctly, it can be very helpful. But if it is overused or misused, like any other technique, it's, it could be even harmful. So, uh, that's why it belongs in the book. Kim, is, it, is there anything you want to add?
2: I I would just add that Kyle's question is a, is a good and fair one because, Larry, I would say that of all the things we wrote about in the book, this was probably the one we agonized over the most and kind of went back and forth with each other about. Um, it's complicated. It's a hard thing, and but we agreed to what you said, that while it's somewhat controversial, it's extremely important. And we couldn't write this book and leave it out.
0: So when does this method work, work really well, and when does it typically fail miserably?
1: Well, let's start with when it fails miserably. Okay. Because you, one has to understand what can be accomplished by using this technique and what can't be accomplished. Okay. Unfortunately, in too many cases, managers, we can talk about coaches, it doesn't matter, but of course, we're focusing on managers in this particular podcast. Managers mistakenly believe that if they kick butt enough, they're going to increase someone's capability to do a job Better. And you can yell at somebody, you can hold your breath until you turn blue, you can take them out back and beat the living daylights out of them. None of that is going to increase their capacity to perform with excellence. So if that is what someone believes, and unfortunately, too often, that's what people think is going to happen, that they're going to kick someone's butt and they're going to get better performance out of them. Uh Uh, So uh, that's that's a misguided use of the technique. Uh, I think what it can do is increase somebody's sense of urgency. It can motivate somebody. And all good managers know that there are employees who actually need that. They don't really have the right sense of urgency. They're not fully engaged unless somebody engages in frequent butt kicking with them. And you know, I'll be honest with you. This is not a technique that that uh, I employ. I mean, it's a long time you'll see me not employ this technique. It's just not one that I'm good at. It's not one I like to use. Uh, so if somebody is that kind of person that they need this frequently, I'm probably the wrong boss for that person because I don't like doing it. Uh, Even though, as as we've said in the book, there is a time and place for it. Kim? Kim?
2: Well, as on the, on the um, topic of when does it fail, I mean, I think you said it, a certain person it's very good for. There's also a certain person it's going to be very bad for. You know, there's the really highly self-disciplined, uh, self-directed person who doesn't need an additional sense of urgency other than over and above what they provide for themselves. Um, and for them, this is likely to backfire. It's also likely to backfire, and this is the kind of person we don't often think about. It's likely to backfire for that person who is in a learning mode and lacks confidence because it's not going to increase their confidence. It's going to increase their sense of urgency, and it's going to increase their trepidation about whether or not they can achieve the desired uh, outcome and the desired performance. So that's also a situation where it's not going to be good. But in those situations where it will be effective, it can be highly effective.
1: And, it, and I, I want to add to that. You, you just stimulated me to think about the kind of boss who punishes people when they've made a decision and the decision doesn't come out well. And you know that that's a form of kicking butt, right? You're gonna, you're gonna get your butt chewed. You're, you're, you're gonna get criticized for making that poor decision. And if that happens every time you're mistaken, after a while you don't want to make any decisions anymore. You don't want to take action without checking with the boss. That way, if if it doesn't come out well, it's really the boss's fault because you're just doing what you were told. So, using this technique to uh, punish someone simply because their decision didn't come out well. Eventually, if you do that all the time, you're going to find that people won't uh, exercise any sort of uh, self-direction. They won't make a decision because they're worried if it comes out wrong, they're going to get punished. They're going to be held accountable when it simply was a mistake. So people can get paralyzed if you overuse this. And that that just reminds me of of something that is a just is an annoyance for me. And it it, it occurs in fictional uh, stories, in movies in particular, where you get the mob boss or the super criminal and they've got a gang of people that work for them and they, they send the guys out to do something and they're not successful. And the uh, the mob boss shoots one of them because they weren't successful. And I'm I'm standing there thinking, who would work for this guy? Who would work for a guy? He shoots you. He kills you if you if you don't achieve your goal. How do they recruit people? How do you What kind of? I mean, they create their own turnover. But it's just astonishing. And I'm saying this because we all see this a lot in these oh, yeah. movies. And and uh, it, it's it's not that far off of what we're talking about. If if people get their butt kicked uh, too frequently just because they didn't accomplish the goal or something of the sort, uh, you're not going to have a lot of people working for you. So there's plenty of circumstances where this works, and we we've, we've talked about them, giving people a sense of urgency. Uh, where a coach, particularly you know, in a sport where you need a great sense of urgency and things are very tense and they're very emotional and and uh, the coach thinks people aren't trying hard enough or they're they're making mistakes that they know better they're, they they actually can perform better than what they're doing right at this moment and and you know exhorting somebody in those cases and kicking some butt in those cases i think can can make some sense but it can be overdone it can cause people to disengage and it can cause people not to want to work for you
2: Well, and what I would add to that, Larry, is that it's going to work in the context of a relationship where there's a lot more positive pieces of that relationship that are happening outside of that certain event. You know, as you said, if you're always kicking butt and that's the only thing you're ever doing, you're probably not building the positive relationship with a person that's going to enable you to really make a difference in their lives.
1: Well, I'll tell you, i I'm so glad you brought that up because I'm, I'm thinking of uh, a gentleman by the name of Horst Schultz, legendary hotelier, uh, former COO of the Ritz-Carlton, built the brand. And I, I had the pleasure of working with him for quite a number of years and reporting to him. And I will tell you something. This guy can, can kick butt with the best of them. And he, he was frequently would yell at people and chew them out and so forth. But the the point you made is very important. The reason he could do this is first he established a relationship with you and not merely a relationship of caring. You had no doubt this guy loved you. He absolutely loved you. And it was only after he had established that foundation, which he was also very good at doing, once he established that foundation, he could yell at you because it was taking place within the context of that bigger relationship. And this is why parents can yell at their children. It's because they're, they're, the context of the relationship is, is unmitigated love, and the, the child knows that and therefore, the parent can get away with yelling at somebody occasionally. And, and Horst also yells when things are good. You know, he gets just as emotional when there's a win, when there's a high point, when he's congratulating people as, as when he is criticizing them. So, as you said, it, it takes place in a context of a really strong positive relationship. And that's not the only thing that happens it happens on the good side as well.
0: It reminds me of uh, great coaches. You know, you know, I'm from Nebraska and I'm a big, you know, huge Husker football coach. And people talked about Tom Osborne in that way, Larry, that, you know, he, you know, if he needed to get a little direct with his, with one of his players, it was, be, you know, and they knew that he loved them as a player and he, he took great care and built great relationships with his players, but he could chew them out in certain cases because, because of that relationship. And I think that's, that's a key. Uh, well, it looks like we're we're getting ready to go into a break here. So uh, please come back and and learn a little more about how kicking butt the right way is important to uh, making a difference in in your people. Um, and also, hey, our radio show is an awful lot better when we have listener input. So feel free to email us your management questions, your uh, your thoughts, or perhaps maybe
1: topics you'd love to for us to add into a future show that we might be able to fit in. Or if you have black and blue marks on your butt from your boss kicking it, take a photo and send it to us. (laughs) Well, click the email host button uh, to do that. It's on the
0: podcast description. Uh, I don't know if images can come through or not, but uh, check it out. Uh, Also, um, Larry and Kim are gonna be doing a book signing on June 27th here at Talent Plus at our international headquarters. Hey, if you want a book signed, uh, feel free to give us a call. It's gonna be about four o'clock in the afternoon. You can come by to get a book signed if you'd like to do that. Or if you'd like to have Larry and Kim uh, come to your organization or to your community to do a uh, book signing, they would love to do that. Uh, Again, click the email host button and let us know where you are and and we'd love to come come see you guys to do that. So uh, join us after the break and we'll, we'll be right back.
3: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. When managers make a significant impact, their teams are engaged, motivated, and excited. They love what they do. When those people work for you, you get results. Results matter, and people drive results. At Talent Plus, we've assessed millions of people over decades using our rigorous science to predict successful on-the-job performance and cultural fit with an organization's mission, vision, and values. Reserve your spot today at talentplus.com. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice america. We're always talking business. (whistles) Talk to an expert. (whistles) Call now. Toll free 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network.
0: Welcome back and thank you for joining us for Managing to Make a Difference this afternoon. We've been talking to Larry and Kim today about kicking butts the right way. This topic comes from Chapter 19 of Larry and Kim's book, Managing to Make a Difference. And just as a quick recap, uh, we've been showing the, the – or talking about the techniques of when it's good uh, to use this technique and when it's bad, how um, they can work in harmony uh, and how it you know move people from a sense of urgency. Uh, but that kicking butt doesn't uh, doesn't fix people Uh, necessarily it just may be able to motivate them and create a sense of urgency Um, so that's what we've been talking about Um, Kim has a story she wants to tell a little more uh, that will help to illustrate the point of uh, kicking butt the right way and and how it can work and how it cannot work so Kim I'll turn it over to you
2: yeah we ended the last segment talking about coaches and you gave uh, an example of one of the great coaches that I've ever seen Tom Osborne and how his players knew that they loved him but when or sorry, that he loved them, but that when he needed to, when he took a kick butt kind of approach, it it made a difference because it was such a contrast to what they normally got from him, and and that's what that's what the power of this technique is. And I can tell you how it looks on the other side from the perspective of a parent. Uh, my youngest son loved baseball. Um, moved into that summer before high school and started working out with the high school team. And at the end of the summer said, Mom, I don't think I want to play baseball anymore. And, you know, we started digging around in that to understand what was going on. And at the bottom of it, what he said is, those coaches, all they do is yell at us. All they do is tell us everything we do wrong. and They don't try to teach us anything. They're just yelling at us about what we're doing wrong. How are we supposed to get any better if this is how they Are as coaches. (laughs) And my husband and I looked at each other and we said, you know what? It's okay. You don't have to play on that team. And we gave him permission to quit. It's sad because it killed this kid's love for the game. But what a great developmental experience for him because he's learned that he can walk away from somebody. Who puts him in that position over and over and over again, and he can do better.
1: Uh, I'll tell you, and and there may be some listeners who would disagree with me on this. What you just described actually amounts to abuse, in my, in my not so humble opinion. When that's all you're getting from somebody that you're not good enough, et cetera, et cetera, Uh, when that's all you get, it amounts to an abusive relationship.
0: So, Kim, as, um, you know, as an expert on this topic, how much do you think, uh, you know, people talk about emotional intelligence so much, you know, EQ, it's kind of a hot topic, of course. Um, So let's say a a manager comes to you and says, well, gee, you know, how much does EQ play into this technique of kicking butt the right way? How would you respond to something like that?
2: That's a great question. There are two pieces of EQ that I think are part of answering that question one that's really underappreciated is self-awareness the other is empathy we talk a lot about empathy we talk a lot less about self-awareness starting with self-awareness you have to recognize your own motivations for the approach that you take to somebody why are you in a coaching mode versus why are you in a kicking butt mode Um, and where do those intersect, and you need to understand yourself very clearly and your motives and your goals with respect to how you're going to interact with your people. Secondly, you have to have the empathy to understand where that person is and what they need and to recognize that even if, if one way of interacting would work well for you or would work well for the 12 other people on your team, if it doesn't work well for this one person, you shouldn't use it. You have to have the empathy to understand who that person is, what that person needs, and what they're going to respond to the best to get to the place that you want to go, because your goal is to help them perform better.
0: Perfect. Thanks, Kim. I've got a question actually that came in um, uh, to the podcast that I wanted to to ask everybody here. And the listener says, well, I've got a manager that their go-to management tactic is to actually just start with the kicking butt uh, concept. How do I talk to them about that and sort of saying, hey, you might be wearing this out a little bit. Um, Try a different tactic because it's starting to disengage people. How do you have that conversation? What's the best way to start it? Uh, with somebody who's always using this as their go-to standard
1: well i'll I'll start and and he, first of all, it depends on whether you report to them or not. Uh, but in any case, because if you report to them, the dynamics of the conversation are are a little bit different. nevertheless, I and you know, I've been in this situation and I remember sitting down with a, a gentleman and, and I said to him, listen, um, I noticed that you have really spent a lot of time criticizing me for a couple of my shortcomings here. And I agree that they're shortcomings, but I, I just want to ask you, what is it you hope to accomplish by doing this? And you can say that if somebody is kicking your butt or chewing you out or yelling at you or whatever it might be. And he wasn't yelling at me, but he, he was harping on a couple of my shortcomings. And, and believe me, i it's, it's, got plenty of shortcomings. It's not hard to find them if you want to harp on them. And, and, uh, but I asked him, why? Why was he doing this? And what did he hope to accomplish? And he said to me, uh, well, I'm trying to help you get better, Larry. And, you know, these are, these are areas that you ought to work on. And, and I said to him, have you noticed that I'm not getting any better in those areas? And he hadn't. He hadn't thought about it. And once I, I brought his attention to it, uh, he said, well, now that you mention it, uh, yes, I, I, I see that you're not getting any better. I said, so here's my message to you. Continued criticism about those shortcomings is really just not going to be helpful to me. And this in this particular instance, this won't happen every time you do this. But in this instance, he actually decided to cut it out and he never brought those things up again. And and again, it occurred within the context. We had an excellent relationship. It's just that he thought this was the way to help me. Improve, and when I pointed out to him that that wasn't really helpful for me, he stopped it because of our because of our good relationship, and we're still friends to this day.
2: Kim, what's your? Importance? I really like I really like that story, Larry, because you approached it in a way that takes it out of how do I feel. Um, it, it's tempting in that situation to go in with the first thing that's on your mind, which is this is how what you're doing makes me feel. And the way that you win at that presents it to this person in a different way and maybe in the way that a person you actually report to can hear better. Is that what are you trying to achieve with this? And are you getting the results you want? It takes the conversation to a different place that is potentially a lot more palatable to that person and is going to get you the results that you want.
0: Well, it moves out of the emotional um, and towards more of the achievement and the goal orientation, to, to your point, Kim. You know, it's more about trying to get something done versus, you know, it makes me feel this this way. So absolutely removing
1: the emotion, that, that's, a, that's really good uh, feedback to think about. But, but fundamentally, I want to come back to the point Kim made earlier, Fundamentally, it's not just about technique. The technique takes place within the context of a relationship between two people. If the relationship between me and this this gentleman had not been very very good, it was excellent. Uh, the technique might not have worked at all, uh, and I might not have I might not have even felt it was worthwhile to use. So the the, the most important thing, whether you're a manager, a coach, anything along those lines, a teacher, the most important thing is to make sure you establish that positive relationship where people have no doubt that you seek their greatest good.
0: Great. Well, you know, one of the things we wanted to do as well today is um, you know, we've talked about you know, kicking butt. But as we as we get closer to the break here uh, and we come into our third segment, we wanted to talk about some of the um, just some of the most recent podcasts We do a little bit of a, a recap. Um, you know, a lot of our listeners have said, yeah, I, I love what you've been talking about. But uh, can you, you know remind what was that one story you told or just to kind of get some more of a recap uh, tidbits so they might entice them to go back and listen to the full podcast of the Past, so we wanted to just take a few minutes to go back and talk about some of those most recent podcasts uh, so we're, go- we're getting ready to go into a break here in about uh, 90 seconds but those the last few shows uh, embracing the ebb and flow of relationships abandoning the follow Shirley method uh, helping the people to self actualize coaching to improve performance, optimizing fit, and then last week's show set the right, expectation, or, uh, last week's show set the right expectations and asking the right questions. So uh, we come back after the break. Uh, come back, we're going to do a bit of a recap um, just to kind of go over what we've talked about, ask a few more questions, um, and continue on with, uh, uh, with the rest of the show. Um, so Uh, folks, if you haven't had a chance yet to order your books, obviously you can do that on Barnes and Noble and Amazon.com. But if you'd like to order uh, a large group of books or a bulk order, you can go to www.800ceoread.com. Again, www.800ceoread.com to get bulk orders and a 20% discount on books. Uh, So highly recommend to buy in bulk, uh, buy early, buy often, so to speak. Um, And if you're looking for some extra help, uh, some of the the things we've done to to provide some support documents for managing to make a difference, you can go to our microsite, www.managetomakeadifference.com, to download that information and getting supporting documents. So join us right after the break, folks, and we'll talk a little more about just recapping some of those uh, recent chapters. Uh, Talk to you soon.
3: business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network Asked to manage your teams but wonder when or how join talent plus on site with us or at your corporate office for a seminar built just for you leadership toolbox Focuses on individual engagement, talent and fit, team dynamics and growth, and creating a strength-based culture. This interactive, seminar-style format is just the set of tools you need for world-class team performance starting now. Reserve your spot today at talentplus.com. When managers make a significant impact, their teams are engaged, motivated, and excited. They love what they do. When those people work for you, you get results. Results matter, and people drive results. At Talent Plus, we've assessed millions of people over decades using our rigorous science to predict successful on-the-job performance and cultural fit with an organization's mission, vision, and values.
0: Welcome back to Managing to Make a Difference with Larry Sternberg and Kim Turnich. If you happen to be just joining us today, we've been discussing kicking butt the right way um, and just a little bit more about that technique and how it can work to um, you know, help to you know, create some urgency or motivate people but certainly doesn't, uh, doesn't change them or, or make them better at their job, although it may certainly motivate them. Um, as we move into this segment, we actually wanted to recap uh, some of our previous segments, one we've done just recently, all of those uh, radio shows that we have done have been in the section called Accelerate People's Growth. Um, and, again, those, those have been Embrace the Ebb and Flow of Relationships, Abandon the Follow Shirley Method, Help People to Self-Actualize, Coach to Improve Performance, Optimize fit, and then set the right expectations and ask the right questions. So, Larry and Kim, would you like to recap a little bit for us? uh, Embrace the ebb
1: and flow of relationships. Kim, can I start on this one?
2: Yes, absolutely.
1: Uh, Okay. Um, So, embrace the ebb and flow of relationships. I I want to start by thanking my my boss and uh, mentor Doug Rath for. Bringing this to my attention years ago, there is some sort of mythology that suggests that healthy relationships are 50-50, that the burdens of of the relationship and the benefits of the relationship should be shared 50-50. And he pointed out to me that that's not actually what happens in the real world. It's never 50-50. It's always tilted one way or the other, and sometimes uh, uh, remarkably so. So it's not just 60-40. Sometimes it's 90-10, and, and that in any relationship, at any point in time, it's just not going to be 50-50, and there's an ebb and flow. It's not static. Uh, it goes one way. It goes the other way, and in a marriage, in a long-term relationship, in, uh, in a company, you, you're, whoever you're thinking about You're going to have an ebb and flow in your relationships. And so, A, just accept that, embrace it, but ask yourself if if what you're putting into the relationship is worth what you're getting out of the relationship. And if the answer is yes, quit complaining that it's not 50-50, And if the answer is no, do something about it, either change the relationship in some way, declare your needs to the other person, uh, and if necessary, get out of the relationship. Uh, But what you can do is relieve the stress on yourself. The stress is resistance to what is. So in all cases, if your ultimate decision is that you want to stay in the relationship, quit complaining about it. You've made the decision that what you're getting out of the relationship is is worth it for you to stay in the relationship. And therefore, whatever the downside is, accept that as a cost of being in the relationship.
0: Kim, anything to add on that chapter?
2: No, I think Larry covered it really well, but I'd like to talk about the follow Shirley method.
0: (laughs) Okay, go for it.
2: (laughs) Yeah, the Follow Shirley Method is um, its kind of a funny name, um, and we, we say you should abandon it. And what we're talking about in that in that section, in that show, and in that chapter of the book is an all-to-a-common approach to onboarding and training people, which is, hey, you're here today, oh my gosh, we weren't really ready for you, here, here. Follow Shirley. She'll show you everything to do. And we encourage people to make that go away in their organizations, wherever it exists, and to be more intentional about setting people up with the right people uh, who are going to provide them with the right experiences so that they can hit the ground running and become optimal performers as quickly as possible in their jobs. And, and in that we give some very specific ideas about who you should select and how they should go about getting people ready to achieve top performance.
1: And the, the fundamental point of, of that chapter is to make things a, to make things more organized. So there is a written list of what a new employee has to learn. That way Shirley works off that list. If Shirley isn't isn't teaching them the next day, whoever is teaching them the next day works off the same list. So there's some there's some forethought and there's some organization in making sure people don't just randomly learn whatever Shirley is doing, so they can still follow Shirley. The second important point in that chapter is who should they be following? Who should be teaching them? Oftentimes, we want our best worker to be the person who teaches new employees. And and I can understand that thinking, but that best worker may not be the best teacher. And so what you have going on here is a teaching of a new employee, and the person who's the best teacher may not actually be the top performer in the department, whatever they're doing. So pay attention to who you're choosing and why you're choosing them. Choose them for their teaching talent, not how good they are at performing the job and i
0: always thought you know the abandoned
1: or excuse me, the, the follow shirley method you know the
0: concept of you only get one first day and in you know from a management technique of managing to make a difference how do you make that first day the best day you know and, and it, you know you're only having one and that impression coming in um, i think is incredibly powerful from a concept standpoint so the, the the next chapter was helping people to self actualize. Tell us more about that. That that can be a tough
1: one to wrap your brain around. Well, we introduce the what we call the gift formula in this chapter, and the gift formula is the word gift spelled backwards. So there are the formula itself is expressed as follows: talent plus fit times investment equals growth. So the first letters of those words, T-F-I-G, that's gift spelled backwards. And if you want to help anyone self-actualize, you have to understand what their gifts are, their aptitudes, their talent, the areas where they have the natural potential to achieve excellence in something. So we're, we're going to use those terms as synonyms, giftedness, aptitude, talent. They're all things that you do not acquire through effort. You have those things. And so if you want to have somebody self-actualize through their work, what you have to do is start by understanding, well, what are their gifts? What are their strengths? What are their passions? What do they like to do? Because that's what's inherent in the way they're built. And once you understand those things, you can then ask, what's the right fit for somebody with those gifts, with those passions, et cetera? How are we going to put them in a role where they're spending most of their time doing things they're good at and enjoy? And once we get them in that role, then we can start investing in them. And before I get into the investment part, I want to point out that without any formal instruction at all, almost every parent that I've met during my lifetime gets their young children involved in a lot of different activities. So they take them to dance class. They take them to swimming. They take them, you know, to soccer. They take them to karate. They get them involved. They play musical instruments. They, you know, et cetera, et cetera. They get them involved in a lot of different activities. And what the parents, they may not even be conscious of this, but what they're looking for is something that their child really responds to. And they're, they're looking for signs of talent. And in the chapter, we, we, we cover four signs of talent, that somebody has a yearning to do something, that when they do it, they have rapid learning and rapid progress. And that includes some flashes of brilliance that can't really be explained as beginner's luck. And then finally, joy in the doing. They, they just love the activity of doing it, when you see those things come together and when a parent sees those things and a child runs back and says, wow, I really love that. For instance, my son and my wife are adrenaline junkies. So that you know what they did as a hobby for many, many years? They jumped out of airplanes. They did skydiving. And they have hundreds and hundreds of jumps. And this is an activity I can assure you I will never do. I have absolutely no desire to try that because equipment occasionally fails. And I'll be the one person in 10 million where the carabiner just broke for some reason. uh, And I'm not going to take that risk. But they just love it. And so when you see that somebody is just getting an inherent Joy from doing something, and you're the parent. You're going to get them involved in more of that. A simply because they like it, and B, who knows where the ceiling is on their degree of giftedness? Who knows whether this might lead to a lifelong endeavor, whether it's a job or whether it's not a job? Who knows? Um, you know, Kyle, how old were you when you you when you first went hunting? Uh probably two <laughs> okay i didn't know it but i probably well, went well okay and and did you kind of like it immediately did Ooh. you like, like being outdoors and yeah i love being outdoors spending time with my dad uh so more hunting more hunting yeah here we're gonna wrap up here I oh say. yeah
0: so uh we're going to re- we'll come back to finish up uh the helping people to self-actualize here in just a few moments um <laughs> And we'll finish up wrapping up on the rest of those chapters and and get a few more points in there. Uh, So if you haven't had a chance yet and you want to send in some questions to Larry or Kim, please go ahead and do that. All you have to do is click the email host button. Uh, there on the podcast description, we would love to hear from uh, you and answer some of your questions. And as I said uh, before uh, in our last segment, if you are looking for any of those supporting materials, some some things that can help you as you think about helping people to self-actualize, for example, uh, or just a couple of pieces to build some relationships, you can find that information at www manage to make a difference.com that's our microsite for uh larry and kim's book managing to make a difference so we'll be back in just a few moments to go ahead and finish up the last segment of the show and uh just recap on some of the the past podcasts see you in a few moments
3: voice america business network the bottom line in business Reserve your spot today at talentplus.com. When managers make a significant impact, their teams are engaged, motivated, and excited. They love what they do. When those people work for you, you get results. Results matter and people drive results. At Talent Plus, we've assessed millions of people over decades using our rigorous science to predict successful on-the-job performance and cultural fit with an organization's mission, vision, and values. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you.
0: back to Managing to Make a Difference with Larry Sternberg and Kim Turnich. Uh, We started today on the topic of kicking butt the right way and we've been recapping a few of the most recent podcasts here just over the past minute Uh, and we were just talking about helping people to self-actualize and we're talking about the the growth formula or the gift formula that Larry introduced talent plus fit times investment equals growth. Uh, and Kim wanted to, to tell us a story about how helping people to self-actualize. So, Kim, I'm just going to pass it right over to you.
2: Great. Well, I, I have a story about my daughter. And, you know, Larry said one of the things we think about with talent is joy in the doing. And it's important not to underestimate the, the value of that joy in the doing. Because if you're going to make investments and the joy in the doing doesn't exist, those investments aren't really helping someone self-actualize. So my daughter uh, started playing the violin when she was in fourth grade. And in high school, she discovered theater and voice as well and began singing as well. Um, As a senior in high school, she discovered that she was investing her time and energy in so many different places, and she felt spread so thin that she didn't, She wasn't getting joy out of everything she was doing, and we helped her go through kind of an assessment of, okay, well, where do you think is the best place to make your investments? And not completely to our surprise, she chose theater and voice, and she chose to give up that thing she had been doing since she was in the fourth grade. Her grandparents and her great-grandmother have bemoaned that she no longer wants to play the violin, but It didn't make sense for her. It didn't help her self-actualize to continue to make that heavy investment in that thing that didn't bring her as much joy as the other things did. And so that's just a really important point to consider as you consider where to put those investments and how to coach people who only have so much investment to make.
0: You know, we keep talking
1: about all these examples about kids. Maybe you guys are going to have to write a parenting book here oh, or next. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, Kim is reminding me of, of, of my childhood because I, I uh, considered, uh, and my parents considered, me taking the violin, but I could never figure out where to blow into it. So <laughs> that, that was just a disaster. Well,
0: <laughs> thank you, Larry. All right. Well, the the next the next chapter uh, that we, we did go over was coaching to improve
1: performance. Uh, Larry, do you have do you have another violin uh, example? Well, actually, this is, it, Kim is a an active coach, so I'm I'm going to invite her to kick this one off.
2: Yeah, I, I think the biggest thing we want to help people remember and and that we hit on a lot in our coaching to improve performance show was the idea that that really is your goal. Remember, your goal isn't to change the person. Your goal is to improve the person's performance. And you have to start with this thing that goes all the way back to one of our very earliest podcasts, which was accept people as they are. So accepting people as they are, knowing who they are and how they're built, how do you help them improve their performance and optimize their performance? And one of the biggest things you can do is take an individualized approach. Recognize that the same thing isn't going to work for everybody. The same thing that worked for you isn't going to work for the people that you coach. And figure out what's going to work for each person and use it to help them grow. Um, Also, be very specific and keep them focused on the one or two things that's going to improve their performance the most. Because they can't focus on all 10 things they could improve and get better. But if they focus on one or two, they're going to make the step that you need them to make. And then they can take another step focusing on a different two, one or two things.
1: Yes. And and there there's a story in that chapter that I really like. Uh, it illustrates why we're talking about people using their own strengths to be successful. It's about a restaurant manager who wasn't good at large group presentations and he had to train a completely new crew of restaurant employees for the opening of a hotel. And he was the restaurant manager and he asked my advice. And uh, as, I, as I listened to him, uh, I, it became evident that he was good at one-on-one training, which is what happens 99.9% of the time in a restaurant, you have one new employee starting And this manager was terrific at spending time with people one-on-one, whether they were seasoned waiters or brand new waiters. He could help them improve their performance. And uh, he he wanted to get better at the group presentations. And I I basically just said to him, never mind, that's not your gift. Uh, He had an assistant who was very good at the large group presentations. And I said, you give one short speech to your new crew, and you say, listen, I'm going to spend a ton of time teaching you one-on-one, uh, and my assistant here is going to be the person who does the group training, and I want to introduce him to you now. And he—he he, it was like the weight of the world was lifted off his shoulders because I gave him permission to spend time doing what he was good at and he enjoyed doing, in that context, where he added a lot of value, made a big difference in their lives, uh, and, and he delegated the other stuff to somebody who was really good at it. So, and this is how you achieve synergy in any team situation, where you, you understand what each person is good at, their aces and spaces, and you, you can say to people, Thank God you're here, because we need this done. The team needs it done. I'm not good at it, so thank God you're good at it, so you do that kind of stuff, and I'll do this stuff over here that I'm, I'm good at. It's not an easy way to manage a team. It takes more effort in really understanding what individuals are good at and what they're not so good at, et cetera, et cetera. But once you invest that time and you get more people spending more time in that fit where they're doing things they're good at and enjoy, the overall team performance is good. And this is what, there's a term called job sculpting. This is what job sculpting is all about. It's making sure people are spending time in their areas of strength and supporting each other with complementary strengths.
0: Well, and that leads us into the next chapter, which is optimized fit. So it's not just about strengths, but then it's about putting people in the right place to be successful. Uh, Tell us more about that chapter as we kind of close out the show here.
1: Kim, you want to go?
2: Yeah, one of the things that, an an image that's coming to my mind, Larry, as you were saying what's true, optimizing fit is complicated. Uh, It's harder when you're job sculpting. And consider this image, the difference between a checkerboard and putting a piece on a checkerboard versus a puzzle and putting the piece into the puzzle. And optimizing fit is taking a puzzle approach to managing your team and recognizing that everybody's got these boundaries and spaces that can potentially overlap and, and can be aligned with each other to create synergies that you couldn't have if you stayed on the checkerboard. So if you can optimize the fit for each person and you can optimize the way people fit together, you can optimize the performance of your team.
1: It also allows something we haven't talked. It it empowers the manager to make sure that each person knows that they are valued for what they bring to the team. And you don't have to value one person over another because they're all valued for the strengths that they bring. And that's one of the ways you make a difference.
0: Well, Larry and Kim, that's, that's a great recap and, and kind of helps cover some of the most recent points we've made, you know, the really powerful points. Um, you know, we're getting ready to, to close out the show today, but I do see our next podcast for, uh, for next week is actually starting section three of Managing to Make a Difference. We're moving into a new section, and that's focusing on maximizing engagement and motivation. As you know, engagement is a hot topic right now, and management, sort of everybody's talking about engagement. Um, Our first chapter in that section is going to be emphasizing the why. Could you give us a little bit of a preview?
1: Uh, Sure. It's uh, three things. Helping people answer the following three questions. How do I make a difference in the lives of others through my work? Why is my role important to the team? And how does our organization contribute to a better world? Great teaser. Perfect. Always sending them out with questions
0: to think about, right? Um, all right. Well, join us next time, folks. We'd love to to have you uh, hear more from us about emphasizing the why. Thank you for joining us. If you haven't got your books yet, please go order them today. Um, and check out www.manage2makeadifference.com for some extra support materials. So until next time, go out there and find ways that you can manage to make a difference. We'll see you next time.
3: Thank you for joining us for Managing to Make a Difference with Talent Plus's Larry Sternberg and Dr. Kim Turnage. We hope these real-life management examples will help you manage teams across the globe. Just a reminder, this series airs on Voice America, the business channel, each Thursday at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific. We hope you'll tune in next week for Managing to Make a Difference. Until then, put these practices into place and manage to make a difference.